We are in a passage today in the book of Timothy that is indeed a difficult passage, but I think one of the things that we have to remember and understand is that context and content is important. And when we consider the Word of God, we must consider what were the times, what was the situation that was prevalent during the times. We have a 21st century mind when it comes to certain topics, but that was not the exact way things may have been or the customs when we hear certain words. And so we must keep in mind that when we read the Bible, that we don't always think in terms of our culture, our times, when the Bible deals with certain subjects. And so today I want to take you just down an area that gives some context in regards to the situation that Timothy has been told to address in the context briefly of the what we would say the the Near East or the the Far East, I say the Near East, then we'll look at just briefly the Old Testament and New Testament. So when we look at the matter of slavery, it brings up many feelings and, and matters of being upset, hatred, was that right? Where does it actually originate? What were the circumstances that had this come into practice? Well, I, I'm just going to let you in on a secret, and that is, wherever you have sin, you have every evil practice there is. And so we must be mindful of that. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful to you today for the privilege that we have in being able to gather and sing and worship and praise your name and have fun with and have laughter thinking about how good you are. You have given us personalities. You have given us the freedom to honor you and to love people. Today we are thankful that we are here. Now would you bless us, give us ears to hear what the Lord is saying. We worship you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In your Bibles, while I have different passages, I'm going to primarily deal with 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I'll be reading from the ESV. And I'm just going to give you some other passages that I may read at the end, but I'm not going to, I think, read them now. But other passages related to our topic is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6, excuse me, chapter 5. No, let me go back. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Again, Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Colossians, which is in the New Testament, this is for your reference when you can also read it at home, is chapter 3. Verses 22 through 25. In the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 20 through 22. And there's a few others. And of course, the book of Philemon. Some people say Philemon, but it is Philemon. So if you've been saying Philemon, you have been corrected today that it is Philemon. (laughs) This is how 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 reads. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants. That word bondservant means slave. In the Greek it is doulos. 
In the Septuagint, the LXX, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, that word slave is doulos. Again, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. In the ancient Near East, in Mediterranean, in the Mediterranean, you have what's called the Fertile Crescent between the Tigris and the Euphrates is a strip where the land, the soil is very rich. And because of the richness and the ability of things to grow in that area is called the Fertile Crescent because that area also looks like the shape of a crescent moon. So Sister Florence, you're supposed to have moved that stand for me. She left it there on purpose. Forgive her, Lord. Have mercy. <laughs> In this area, the Lord has tremendously blessed. And so that piece of land has been something that has been valued because of the growth. And so many people have been able to occupy that area and that land because of its ability to produce. Let me say this to you. When you think about slavery, the origination of it began in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered into the world. Now understand this. Please don't try to blame God for all the wrongs and evils that takes place today. We have situations, and even when the Bible addresses and speaks on matters, and when certain writers are not condemning, you must understand that there was a culture that was at work, in play, but what we think about slavery in the 16th, 17th, in the 18th, 19th century is not what it was like initially in the ancient Near East, nor in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there were some differences, but it did change when certain ones came to power, primarily the Greco-Roman period. Under the Assyrians and under the Babylonians, there was a different system of slavery. There were a couple of classifications. You fell in what's called the independent or a person that was a free man or a free person. There were the semi-free or what may be called the serfs. And then you had what was called the slave. When Paul addresses this matter in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it was already well established. It was something that was taking place. And in his writings, you don't find Paul fighting the matter of slavery, but what you find Paul doing is strategically picking it apart by the way that the master and the way that the slave were to interact, especially those that were believers. The relationship when they came to the Lord, was to be one of brothers, but Paul does not tell the owners that you must free 
your slaves. Again, we have in our mind 18th and 19th century slavery in America. But things were different. Now, when you look at the matter of what Paul addresses in the Bible, Paul often attaches either scripture or a custom when he talks about something, when he's laying down principles. Give you a few examples. When Paul addresses areas of marriage, he talks about God's order. When he talks about children obeying their parents, he ties it to the fifth commandment. Paul relies on God's order, but when it comes to slavery in the New Testament, there is no attachment to any scripture related to this matter. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells an individual that if you are able to gain your freedom, do so if it becomes available. But it is not tied to Scripture. Now, when we think of this matter of slavery, individuals often went into slavery in, a, in, in different ways, but one of the ways it was as a debt. They owed a debt that they could not pay, which involves all of us. And so they would sell themselves into slavery. You see, those that were in slavery, and slavery, let me say this, um, some of the records go back to 4000 B.C., where the first matters and evidences of slavery seem to have come into play. But slavery was something to where those that were fully slaves really were not the ones that were chosen to work. Many of the, many people didn't want to use slaves that were only slaves. They wanted to use those that were either serfs or those that were free. There are some even scriptures that said, don't hire a slave, they are lazy. You have to wash them all the time, and it is expensive. So what they would do, rather, they wanted to hire the free man or the serf because what happened? The landowner would actually lease equipment, land, and whatever else was needed to the free person or the semi-free person because why? Whatever they did, they tied it into what they owned. So in other words, if the land did well because of the lease, then the owner did well. So they wanted to use a person that they knew would do the work. It was only in the Greco-Roman period to where all of them, that issue changed. There were laws set into place. So people would be sold into slavery, and sometimes they would sell themselves, sell into slavery. Why? Because they said, I want to have some stability. The person that actually struggled the most was actually the day laborer. So when we think about this parable, when, or this matter when Jesus spoke of, there was a landowner who went to the marketplace to hire workers. And he went at certain times throughout the day and says, why don't you come and work for me in my vineyard? And I'll pay you at the end. And the first group had agreed to a certain amount. He went at certain periods all the way up into one hour before quitting time, hiring the laborers. You see, the day laborer was at the mercy of having someone to come out and hire him. So they were oftentimes in the worst situation. So we have to get this matter here. The slave that sold himself to a person, to an owner, would have actually status. They would have the ability to own land. 
Slaves could have gathering. You see, in the 18th and 19th century, slaves weren't allowed to gather. That was illegal. They had to do it privately. And so when the slaves had land and they were workers, they could be high in society. And in fact, many slaves were more wealthy than their owners. And in some cases, when the owner got older and had no children, they would write a will that says, you as my slave must now take care of me and my wife before we leave here. So when you gain your freedom, you got to take us along with you. You can't get rid of us that quickly. And so the mindset of it was quite different. All slaves at a certain point could gain their freedom. And get this, when they were taken as a slave under Roman rule, they would gain their, their freedom and automatically they would be given Roman status. So any person that was a slave in Rome initially would then gain their status. But Rome then later changed things. Now, our idea of slavery deals with ethnicity. That was never the case in the ancient Near East, during the Old Testament and the New Testament times. That was never a factor in regards to a person becoming a slave. It always dealt with social, economic, and political issues. Never once color. And so when Paul is dealing with this matter here, he is dealing already with a system that is in place. And yes, there were some very bad slave owners, some bad masters. But it was well established. And so Paul is addressing a matter here where you now have slaves in the church along with their masters. Now, I want you again to go back with me and just look again at verse number one. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants... Regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Paul's number one issue, his number one concern was that God would be honored. He was always focused on how God was to be viewed. Whenever you look at the scriptures, his concern in this matter is that. Now, in the pastoral epistles, which we have First and Second Timothy... We have also Titus. These are called the pastoral epistles. In the pastoral epistles, these matters dealing with slavery are different than what we call Paul's prison letters. Because Paul never addresses in the pastoral letters, he never addresses the master or the slave owner. He addresses here the slave. But in the matters of his prison letters, be you had Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Philemon has the prison letters. His focus is different. What you find in verse number one, some commentators believe that Paul is talking to slaves who may have, believe, who have, may have uh, masters that are not believers. He is talking about no matter what type of master you have, you are to show respect and honor, even ones that are cruel. Now, why would that be said? Because when you look at verse number two, he goes right there and he says, those who have now believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. When Paul is dealing with this matter, some of the slaves evidently have become very disrespectful. It's one of the issues on his concerns that came up as a possibility because of their freedom in Christ. And because they were serving and working in the same church, there was equality in the sense that they were believers. You see, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there is no difference in status in regards to God. 
We have difference in relationship and positions in regards to responsibility in the church. But in regards to one's status, there is none. And so in the church that Paul is dealing with Ephesus, evidently some of the slaves began to get beside themselves and become disrespectful to their owners. And Paul says, don't do that. If you do that, others that are not saved, those that, are, that don't have believing um, owners, they're going to be turned away from Christianity. What Paul wanted to make sure that the gospel impacted a person's life completely, whether they were free, whether they were slave, whether they were partially free. And Paul says your focus, once you become saved, must be different. And so some of the slaves became believers right in the church. Some of, their, some of them gave their lives to the Lord as, long, as well as with their masters. Saul deals with this matter. It is in the, what we call the pastoral epistles that the behavior of slaves is to be seen as an, what we call an evangelistic tool. All right? It's in the pastoral epistles that the behavior, the behavior of slaves should be seen as a matter of evangelism. Isn't that deep? Frederick Douglass wouldn't be having none of that. Mm-mm. Frederick Douglass, he was, soon, he was a young kid, and he said as soon as he can get his freedom, that's what he wanted. And he tried any means possible. But that was later. Remember, mindset. The mindset back then is different. So as an evangelistic tool is what Paul is saying in this matter here. Paul does not deal with the intrinsic value of slavehood. He doesn't deal with the value of it. In other words, he doesn't say right or wrong. He just says, this is what you are to do if you are a doulos, a slave. He does not again address the masters in this particular matter. But Paul says that slaves, your behavior must be one to where it compels and helps people to be drawn to the kingdom. And as I told you, in America, slavery was based on ethnic makeup. Now, you need to understand this. It is recorded that in America, the first person to own a slave was a black man. Took him to court. Said, you are my slave. It wasn't the whites. It was a black person who owned a slave in America. And in fact, wherever you had slavery, you had a depression in the economy. Do you not know that the art... The artisan or the, the, those that worked in the crafts with wood and different matters. In other words, there was no slave that actually worked in these areas. People didn't want them. Why? Because of the labor. So you find most of them that were called house slaves. Some worked in the field, but none that had a value, had a job that was considered high. So in the South, let me just jump ahead just, just to say this as it comes to mind. When you think about slavery in the 18th and 19th century in the South, the South lagged behind the North because the North was actually free where many slaves were trying to get to. And they were using very innovative matters while the South remained depressed. You see, people think that slavery built up many things that were did oftentimes in Egypt, some parts of Babylon. But that wasn't that wasn't the case. In most cases where there was just slave labor, there is depression worldwide. It is those who have been lifted up, those who have been able to serve and work, that have actually been the producers. And so oftentimes there is this misunderstanding and this, this idea when we think about slavery that it was always something that was dealing with ethnic makeup. It was not. Now another thing that you need to know, in the biblical days, 
when a slave, when a person was in a house, let's say a, a mother, her children would often then be sold onto slavery or they became the property of the household. And the way that it began to be perpetuated is that when women had children, then that child or the children would become slaves. It is possible that in the book of First Timothy that the slaves that he is referring to are those that are actually born slaves. Now you need to understand this final thing, this other thing as I move on and come to a, a conclusion soon. I believe it was Rome or maybe in Babylon, I'm not quite sure, that at the age of 30, anyone that had been a slave would be set free. Now get this, they would be set free. Everyone could look always forward to be, being set free. Again, it was only when it came to the Roman Greco period, period where we consider that period before we, as we come to the first century when Christ is going to come on the scene, there have been changes before, but when we look at that period of the Romans and the Greco-Roman during the, we would say, first century B.C. and even before, we look at how things shifted and even before how things became so different so that slave labor became primarily the focus of Rome and those that were in, I believe it was Assyria, but Rome and Greece, I said, Rome and Greece. Let me say this in this particular matter here. When we consider the fact of how Christians are to be and how we are to respond to people, in the Bible we are all called slaves. In the New Testament and even in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Lord even says of the Hebrews that after six years they had to be set free. There was always a time frame. One thing that I want to make perfectly clear is that sin imprisons. You are a slave to someone or something. Get me now, that's everyone. We are either a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ because we serve him as our Lord, or you are a slave to something else. What you serve or what controls you, <laughs> you have to be very careful because you can become a slave to See, I used to be, I used to be a, a, a slave to sugar. I still am. I would eat a meal and I had to have some sugar. And I'm not talking about no sugar cubes. <laughs> I began to realize that that wasn't always the best thing for me. There are some people that become slaves to other types of things. Do you not know that God made your body in such an incredible way that depending on what you put into it, it's going to crave it more and more? Your body will begin to make adjustments to certain things. Your mind begins to, to do certain things. You begin to even watch certain things. Your mind begins to dwell on certain things. I was watching this. I don't like scary movies. I was watching a scary movie recently. Went to bed with that, that thing on my, on my mind. You, you know, have you ever woke, woken up? You, you woke up and you were like, thank God that was a dream. You're scared half to death. And whatever you were watching before, that's the thing that's running through your mind. You have to be very careful what you expose yourself to. But when the Bible speaks about slavery, it is something in the sense that the Bible and even the Lord Jesus Christ never ties positive scriptures around in the sense to where it is something ordained by God, but it's something that was done. And the Lord even then set limits and parameters around it. But remember this. It was a matter of survival. Again, when we think about slavery today, it's different than back then. So Paul says... You as bondservants, as doulos, 
You must then present yourselves to your masters and do that which is right. And then for those who have believing masters in verse number two, you must always remember to treat them with respect. Why? Because just because you are a believer does not give you the right to be disrespectful. And so Paul then sets the stage here. What is Paul doing? He's using Christianity to tear apart the system of slavery in such a positive way because he couldn't do it in the sense of destroying what was already a part of the culture. But what he could do, he could bring a change for the believer in such a way to where the people that saw this as man. There's something different about that individual. There's something that's special about them. What's different? And Christ being preached, Christ being served, became the one common denominator. And Paul says, I want nothing to destroy the ministry of the body. And so Paul then tells those individuals, be sure to do that which is right. Paul says, Timothy... You teach these things because those that are false teachers are perpetuating and telling individuals that you can be disrespectful to your slaves. What is Paul having to encounter and to counter the false teachers? Remember, this is the value that he's dealing with. You must teach Timothy that which is right, and you then must stop that which is being taught by the false teachers. The false teachers was given a completely different message in regards to what one had and was supposed to do. Timothy... You yourself be sure to teach this value because it's not only going to help you, it's going to help anybody that's looking from the outside in. So be careful what you do. In conclusion, slavery has never been something to where we should aspire to in the sense that it's a good thing. Even from before, when people oftentimes would sell themselves into slavery, it would be because It was a matter oftentimes of life and death. It was a matter of providing security. But even as slaves of Christ, we have freedom in the Lord. And that's one of the beautiful things about being a Christian. Is that Christ frees us from the guilt of sin and gives us freedom to honor and to worship him. Oh, we set parameters. There are certain things that we have to have limits around. But Christ is the one to be honored. And so today we call ourselves the Bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what? He has everything to offer us. Everything to give. Now we serve him freely because of the matter of him laying down his life for us. The fact that he gave everything for our good. In conclusion, what are you entrapped by? What are you enslaved to that is not good? What would happen if you change your allegiance to that which was Jesus Christ if you don't know him? What holds you right now back? What, what keeps you from fully committing yourself to the Almighty who made this incredible universe? What causes you to question if God loves you? Your circumstances? Your situation? What keeps you from fully surrendering? To the Lord Almighty. Oftentimes it's because we don't trust him. And we believe that he's going to do something against us. Remember this. God loves us beyond measure. He takes us through what we need to go through. He loves us as a king, as a master. But in such a way to where he says to us as bond servants, 
I give you the choice to honor and to worship me freely. I'll provide everything that you need because I love you. Today, Lord, we honor you for your goodness and your kindness into this word. And as we consider that we are the doulas, the slaves of the Lord, it has nothing to do with ethnicity, Lord. It has everything to do with the fact that we belong to you. You purchased us. And then you give us everything that we need for our freedom and our life. So today, Lord, help us to have the mindset that we need to trust you, be bond servants of the Lord. Our hope, our life, our livelihood, our salvation is in the Lord. And today we are grateful to you that even as there were, yes, difficulties in the biblical days and before, yet Paul could tell Timothy, your focus must always be to bring glory and honor to God. So even in the midst of difficulty, be faithful in what you do and how you live. So God, we give you the glory today and we thank you. And may we be true bond servants of you, honoring you, worshiping you, magnifying you. In the mighty name of Christ, amen.